My name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Let me say on behalf of all, the mem- all of those who attend the Bridge Church, staff and elders, that we are excited to have all of you here with us on this day. Um, if, if you would do us the favor of uh, completing a bridge card, we just want to know you were here, uh, your name, and we want to be able to say thank you uh, for being here on this day. On last week, we had the, we was the first Sunday of the year. And what we did was um, we took the time last year to talk about New Year's resolutions. We said that we read a poll together that said that only about 8% of people achieve their New Year's resolutions by year's end. And we asked the question, why is it that we struggle to change? Why is it that we we start out, we have these desires to change, but yet we can't accomplish the change we so desire? And we looked in the book of Ezekiel on last Sunday, and our focus was that God said that these people, these elders of Israel, had set up idols in their heart. And so we focused on that change doesn't come by managing our sin, by managing our behavior, but lasting change begins with the heart. And the only way we can change, uh, uh, have this true heart change, is that God first has to give us a new heart. And that's what he promised. As people of the new covenant era, era, we, we, we are people that have been given a new heart and a new spirit. So we must replace this old heart. And God does that when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But not only must we have a heart replacement, but we must also repent. That word repent means to to turn from and turn to. You literally turn from your idol of greed, your idol of self-sufficiency. Your, your, your idol uh, of, of people pleasing, your idol, whatever your, your sin issue is, you turn from that, whatever you have put in the place of God, and you turn to God and him alone. And so we said that, that, that that's how people change. So we focused on heart change last week. And so this week, I want us to look at part two of how people change. Because it's so easy when... It's so easy to see that we need to change. And it's so easy to see that other people need to change. But the question is, how does that actually happen? So last week we said it started with the heart. And so this week I want us to go over to the New Testament and look at Romans beginning with chapter 7. Then we'll go into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 7. Turn there in your Bibles in the English Standard Version of the Bible, we'll be reading there, or whatever version of the Bible you have, we'll read from the English Standard Version, Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse number 14. 
as is the custom here at the Bridge Church, we're going to ask you to pop up one more time um, in honor and reverence and respect of God's holy word. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. And here's what thus saith the word of the Lord. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, there's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body? of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in ye, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Stand, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We, have, we are studying a passage that has been highly debated by theologians and biblical scholars. The reason being is they are trying to figure out who is Paul actually referring to here in Romans chapter 7. Because some people are saying, how could Paul be a saved man, a regenerate man, and talk about being captive to his old flesh, sold under sin? So, so Paul must have reverted back to the days before he became a believer. Others say, no, there's no way that Paul is talking about his days uh, before uh, 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 he became a believer. He's talking about his present day experience. And they argue that he's talking about his present day experience that while he is a believer because he changes the tense of the verbs that he uses in the latter section. In the first part of chapter 7, he used past tense verbs. But here in the section that we're reading now, he uses present tense verbs. They go on to further argue that the reason that, that, that this must be Paul, who is now regenerate, born again, he, it has to be him because he says, I delight in the law of God on one hand. No unbeliever delights in the law of God. What they delight is in themselves. So, so, so you've got these two opposing arguments, and then you know there's a then we have these harmonizers, people who we just want everybody to get along. So we've got another middle position that say, yes, this is somebody that is saved, but it's somebody uh, that is dealing with life under the law. They 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 are saved. But they are le living a legalistic life. So, so Paul is referring to them. So we've got all these different options. I land in the camp of um, uh, where it says Paul is a believer. He's born again, and this, his, this is his everyday struggle. For the same reasons, he, he uses present tense verbs, and he says, I delight in the law of God. 
That's my strongest argument. But, 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 but my a personal argument is I can identify with Paul. Because I know what it's like to want to do the right thing, but end up doing the wrong thing. And if there's one thing I know is I know that I'm saved, that I've been forgiven, and I've been covered with the blood of the Lamb. Oh, but there are days where that old Brandon shows up. I ain't going to tell you all my business. But there are days I don't love kind of the way I ought to. That's old Brandon. There are days that, 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 that I have to deal with different temptations. Lust, pride, unforgiveness, impatience. I'm saved though. And so all of us ought to be able to identify and say this probably is Paul as a believer saying, I still got this old man I'm dealing with. And so here, as we get ready to, to, to look at this text, first Paul gives us the believer's dilemma. Look with me first of all at the believer's dilemma in, in, in chapter 14 through 25. Paul has been arguing that the law is not able to save, but however, the law is still good. The law is spiritual. And the reason the law is good is because it originated from God. And whatever God gives, whatever God creates, it's good. So, so the law is good. The law was meant to reveal how to live a holy life before a holy God. But instead of leading to holiness, it led to sin. Watch this. Not because the law was sinful, because, but it was because the law keeper was sinful. The problem is not the law. The problem is us. We read, thou shalt not covet. And then our sin nature said, ooh, covet. Yeah. It, see, the law activated and aggravated and aroused the sin nature within us. Oh, and so Paul says the law is spiritual. The problem is I am unspiritual. I, I am, he says, I am of the flesh in verse 14. And so Paul, now he voices in his believer's dilemma, he voices his confusion. Look at me at his confusion. He says in verse 15, he says, I don't understand my own actions. He, he says, I'm confused. I, 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 the very things I don't want to do, that's what I do. He says, the very thing he hates, his flesh loves. So Paul voices his Confusion. Wanting to do the right thing, but overwhelmingly doing the wrong thing. And there ought to be somebody in the room today, you can say, I, I, I know what Paul's talking about. Don't say amen too loud, your neighbor's going to know you. it's you. <laughs> we we want to do the right thing. But the temptation becomes so great that we end up doing the wrong thing. We want to tell the truth, but we won't end up telling a lie. We want to be sexually pure, but we end up fornicating. We want to control our anger, but we lose control of our anger. We want to be patient with our kids, but we only find ourselves to be impatient with them. And so the question that Paul poses for us implicitly is, why do people do the things they do? 
He gives us, he, we see first of all in this believer's dilemma, we see uh, the confusion. But secondly, not only, do we, not only do we see the confusion, but now we see the clarification that Paul gives us. Look with me at the clarification in verses 16 through 18. Paul helps us to understand why people do the things they do. Verse 17, he says, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. Paul is not denying personal responsibility here. He's saying what leads people to do the things that they do that are contrary to their desires is the problem of indwelling sin. He says the reason people do the things they do is because of indwelling sin. Paul says Sin is so entrenched within me that even when I have the desire to do right, I, don't even, I still don't have the ability to carry it out. That's how totally corrupt, totally depraved this old man is. There is nothing good in man but without Christ. Friends, this is why our efforts to change often fail. We think if I just try harder, if I can just put my mind to it, if, if, if I could just harness the power of positive thinking, if I would just exercise more self-discipline, if I would just be better, try harder, then I could change. And Paul says that sin is so deep within us that our best efforts and our best efforts, we will always fall short when we try to change under our own power. He says the problem with all men is sin. Family turmoil is because of sin. Parenting is difficult because of sin. Corrupt government is because of sin. Marital problems exist because of sin. Sexual perversion exists because of sin. Paul makes no excuses for himself. He said, it's the sin within me. He said, I am my own worst enemy. He, he doesn't blame it on anything or anyone else. He doesn't say it's because of the way I was raised. It, it's not because of where I'm from. It's not because of how people treat me, it's me. And, and that's what we need to realize is that the, 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 the problem with us is us. The sin within us. So Paul says, you see, you see in this believer's dilemma, my confusion. But now I have the clarification. But then thirdly, let me just explain my conflict his conflict. He says this indwelling sin leads to an ongoing internal conflict. He says, I don't do the good I want, but rather the evil I don't want to do. Look at verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. King James says like this. He says, well, I want to do right, but evil is always present. Now, when Paul says, I find this law, what he's saying is, let me state to you this principle. 
I want to do good, but evil is present. Look at his conflict, verse 22 and 23. He says, I delight in the law of God and in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And it even makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Friends, here's the conflict in the heart of every believer. We joyfully agree with God's law. We love the law of God, his word. We, 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 we believe the Bible. But friends, sin, the sin in you is waging war with your mind. Every day you wake up, sin declares war against you. Every day, sin is constantly mounting a military campaign against the new nature in order to gain victory and control. Friends, we all struggle with this internal conflict on a daily basis. And Paul says that because of this internal war, I feel like a prisoner in my own body. He says, I feel enslaved to the sin that is in me. This sin gets so good that it becomes addicting. Instead of being in control of my desires, my desires control me. He says, I want to change, but I feel enslaved to my sinful nature. This leads now to his condition. Look at his condition in verses 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am. Friends, that word wretched means miserable. He says, I'm a miserable man because of this body of death. I'm pitiful. I'm, I'm hopelessly hopeless. And he says, I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted from this ongoing battle. And some of you here today, you share this same sentiment with Paul. You're, you're exhausted and you're in misery from this internal conflict. You, you, you want to change. You're tired of feeling in bondage to your sin struggle. You feel like your efforts to change are like grasping at the wind. And you have the same question as Paul. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Who? Paul. Uh, uh, John MacArthur, my friend. He's not my friend. John MacArthur. <laughs> a pastor in California. He says in olden days, he said the way they would punish a murderer was to take the corpse of the person they murdered and attach it to the body of the murderer. And they would literally have to carry around this body of death. And as it decayed, it would kill the murderer. And Paul says, carrying around this sin is like carrying around a body of death. And he wants to know, who's going to deliver me? Who's going to rescue me from the clutches of my own sinful nature? And Paul can't wait until chapter 8. He stops in the midst of his dilemma and he says, thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the who is Jesus. He says, and, and, and so he moves from the believer's dilemma to the, the, to the believer's deliverance. Look at chapter 8 verse 1. 
Look at the pardon. Paul says, the reason I thank God through Jesus Christ is because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, your deliverance to your de- from, from your dilemma is in Jesus. Jesus grace. He, J- Jesus Christ. He's the uh, uh, extraordinary emancipator. Jesus, he's our loving liberator. Friends, it is through Jesus Christ, hallelujah, and because of Jesus Christ that we don't stand condemned before a holy God. Jesus took the penalty of our guilty verdict. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching in here today to somebody because you know how guilty you are for the sins that you've committed. But when God looks at you, he looks at the blood of, in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ and he declares you not guilty. Here's some, but here's the really good news for somebody. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For way too many people, we think our not guilty status just affects our future. We think, oh yeah, when I, when I get to heaven, I'll be just like Jesus and I'll, I'll be free from the presence of sin. And so yeah, I won't be condemned. But Paul says, this is not just a future blessing, it's a present blessing. Because there is therefore now no condemnation. He says right now. Today and every day, henceforth, now and forever, you are not guilty. And here's why this is good news. Because somebody came in here today carrying the weight and the burden of your past. You've been carrying around that guilt and that shame. And Paul says the word for you today is for you to know that there is therefore now. Paul says somebody, this weight and this shame and the guilt of your past you've been carrying around. But what you really need to know is that all your mistakes, all your sin, all your transgressions, all your iniquities have been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there is therefore now no condemnation. And so you don't have to go walking around here with your, your head hanging low. You don't have to go in here saying, I can't tell anybody my story because it's so shameful and guilty. Yeah, you may have done some really heinous things in your life, but Christ has covered it with his blood. And so now my past is my testimony. That now I have victory in Jesus Christ. That's, yeah, that's who I used to be, but now I'm a new creation. I'm a new man. I've been born again. You know me from when I was born back then. But I've been born again. And I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. So yeah, you may know me. But I'm not going to let you keep bringing me down. Saying I remember when. I know what you used to do. You may know. But you better know the new me. I've been forgiven. Saved. I've been delivered. And baby Paul says we ought to give thanks to God. Oh, I wish I was in the house today. There ought to be somebody saying thank you right now. You know how much wrong you've done? Paul says you ought to tell them thank you because you've been delivered. You may not be able to say thank you for the money that you have, but you can say thank you that you've been saved. You may not be able to say thank you because of the house that you live in. You want to live in a mansion, but you don't have one, but you've been forgiven. And Paul says you ought to take the time and tell them thank you. Listen here, if y'all were Pentecostal, y'all would, would rearrange all this furniture in here. 
because I've been, I've been saved, I've been delivered from this body of death. I, I don't have to do the things I used to do because Jesus has set me free. And whom the Son has, has set free is free indeed. All right, I don't lost myself in my notes. Paul says that there is a new law at work. Look at verse 2. Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul says there's a greater law at work, a greater principle at work. And it's the law of the life-giving spirit. And, and, and this law of the spirit overrides the law of sin and death. Let me see if I can paint a picture for you. There's something in the scientific world called the law of gravity. And according to my simplistic knowledge of the law of gravity, what goes up must come down. However, when I get into an airplane, there's another law at work called the law of aerodynamics. And this law says that if an object moves at a certain speed, with a certain thrust, and a certain lift, it, it would literally be able to climb out of gravity's pull. Now, when an airplane flies, gravity hasn't stopped being gravity. When an airplane lifts and flies in, into, into the sky, gravity is still mm, gravitational. <laughs> the difference is that the law of gravity is no longer in control. You, oh, you missed your shout. The law of aerodynamics sets the plane free from the law of the pull of gravity. In the same way, the law of sin is always at work. But now the Holy Spirit has come and that law overcomes the law of sin and death. And so now we can lift up high and have spiritual victory because of the law of the Spirit. Paul says, that the law of the spirit has set us free. And this is really where I want to help you. This is how people change. Last week we said we needed a new heart. Paul helps us realize that if we want to change get it, and, and, and deal with this dilemma, we need the spirit. That's how people change, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem with many of us is that the reason we, we don't change is because we just won't yield. To the Holy Spirit. I had an accident one time back in my hometown, Waxahachie, Hatchtown, that's what we call it. I was coming off the highway, and as I came off the highway, I was having to go around a, a curve that uh, met with another service road. And as I was coming around, that person was going straight. And I was coming around this curve so that I could uh, 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 get onto this service road to get onto another highway. As I was coming around the curve, I didn't realize at the time there was a yield sign there. 
It was my job to slow down. And, if, and in the case that somebody else was coming, I was to give them the right of way. I was, they were, I, was to, I was to allow them to have control of the roadway. But because I didn't yield, I was in an accident. And my baby boy was born two weeks early. That's the way it works with us with the Holy Spirit. If we will learn, the Holy Spirit said, I'm driving this thing. I got you. When temptation comes, I will tell you, don't you do that. You've got the power to do it. You didn't have it before, but I'm here now, so you've got the power. And if you would just yield, let the Holy Spirit be in control. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Then you could change. He says, it's through the Holy Spirit that we change. And, and, and so we got this law of the spirit now. And it says in verse three, he says, God did what the law could not do. How did God do this? And notice, friends, notice, notice that he says God did it. I'm always trying to point out to you that God is the author of our salvation. It, everything begins with God. He, he's sovereign. Uh, every part of us, we are, remember Paul just told us, we are so corrupt that on our best day, we still deserve hell. But, but, but God sends, he, he says in verse 4, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, though I'm not condemned, sin is condemned. Friends, this is the language of the gospel. In other words, it's because of the gospel that we have deliverance. Every day, we have to rehearse and remind ourselves and preach to ourselves the good news. That Jesus Christ himself came, died, was buried and rose on the, on the third day. And it's by faith that we are saved. Every day, we have to remind ourselves of the gospel. The gospel is not just to save us. The gospel is there to sanctify us as well. He says, God has condemned sin. God has passed a judicial sentence on sin. And that sentence was, you're going to be put to death. And I'm going to be there at that funeral. When sin is put to death. And Paul says in verse 5 that the reason, look at this, the reason God sent his son was not just so we could have eternal life in heaven, but it was also so that we could live a holy life on earth. The, the goal, friends, is holiness. Y'all get quiet when I use that word. It's, 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 it's a life that's set apart, a life that's counterculture. Uh, uh, it, it's a life that's just different. And friends, because of Jesus, here's the truth, we can change. Because of Jesus, we can overcome temptation. Because of Jesus, we, have, we can have victory over sin in this life. So then... How do we do this? What's the power? The power to change is not in ourselves. I've given it away. It's through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9. 
He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul reminds us that we don't have to give in to our flesh because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. He, he dwells in us. He, he's at home within us. And he has to. There's no other way. He has to. That's the, that's the only way a person can be saved. It's through the Holy Spirit. But look, Paul makes it very abundantly clear here that, that if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. And therefore, you are not saved. As soon as a person trusts in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. This is crucial. The gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not a second work of grace. It's not subsequent to faith. It's simultaneous with faith. And, and you say, Brandon, why are you bringing this up? Because I was at dinner you know, a couple of years ago. And uh, my waitress, uh, I may have told you all this before, but act like you never heard it. My waitress, she said something, some kind of way. Maybe she asked, what do I do? And I told her I was a pastor. Oh, she said, oh, okay, yeah, I go to this certain school here. Uh, um, and, and, and so when she told me the name of the school, I said, oh, okay, blessed Jesus. And so she looked at us. She realized I, if I'm a pastor, then she assumed I was saved. Thanks be to God. And so here's her question to me. After she finds out I'm a pastor and a Christian, she's good with that. She says to me, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, where the camera at? Ha! This is a joke, huh? Where, where is that? Friend, there's that theology out there that you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, you think I'm playing. I had a, I had a cousin-in-law. Really? <clears throat> that stuff ain't in my family. A cousin <laughs> in law. He was talking, and, and he's one of these neo Pentecostal. I got Pentecostal brothers and sisters, and I love them. We, we good, we tight. But these new Pentecostals, they give me heartburn. And so he's really talking about all this stuff, and yada, 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 and, and he's giving, spewing out his theology. Uh, and, and he's. And, I, and I'm up there, I'm talking with him, and I'm trying to share my, my convictions. And sometimes we get onto the Holy Spirit, of course. And, and I say, and of course, you know, uh, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. And he gives me this look like, this dude had no idea what he's talking about. And I said, okay, let's go to Romans 8. I took him right to where we are right now. And he read it, he said, oh, okay, you're right. My point is, this theology is out there, and I want you to know, friends, that the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You, you, you receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, uh, uh, God created man in, in, in the beginning. And he, when God created him from the dust of the earth, he was just skin and bones. There was no life in him. He didn't receive life until God gave him his spirit. The spirit was what gave him life. 
That's how Adam was created and Adam was born the first time. For those of us who trust in Jesus, we are born again. The only way you have a new birth is through the through breath, through, through the spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no new life. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no new birth. That's why the only way I can be saved, the only way, Paul says it like this in Ephesians. I'm not getting down there because I may not get back up. Paul says it like this, that before Christ, we are dead in our transgressions. The only way you can bring something back to life is by giving it breath again. Breath, same word in scripture, is wind, is spirit. The only way you can go from death to life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said that Holy Spirit is there not just to give you new life, but to give you life every day. So that you can overcome the sin in your life. All right, let's get out of here. I didn't have my third meal yesterday, so I'm hungry this morning. <laughs> no fault of my wife, because I've got two meals at the house. All right. So we see the believer's dilemma, the believer's deliverance, hallelujah. But finally, with doctrine comes duty. With orthodoxy, there must be orthopraxy. So then here's the application. Paul gives us an application here in verses 12 through 17. He helps us to realize that with privileges comes responsibility. Paul says in verse 12, we are debtors. Another translation says this, we are under obligation. What's our obligation? Paul says our obligation is, is not to live according to our sinful nature, but rather to live each and every day in the control and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says if we don't, we will die. Not just physically, but spiritually. Let me make something very clear. Paul's not arguing that you can lose your salvation. He's, he's arguing that you, you'll, you, you will die in the sense that death means separation. You'll, you will lose the daily fellowship you have with God until you repent of your sin. You will have the same uh, 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 feeling that David had when he sinned so greatly with Bathsheba and he committed adultery. He said he asked God to restore unto him the joy of his salvation. That's what happened when we sin. We lose the joy of our salvation, the fellowship that we have with God. And Paul says, as we live by the Spirit of God, we actually confirm our identity as sons of God. Because I have this new identity as a child of God, I ought to show it in the way I live. He says, we are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. Because of our new identity, we have a new walk, friends. We walk according to the spirit. Because we believe differently about Christ, we now behave differently for Christ. We now live not to please ourselves. We now live not to please our sinful nature, but we live by the Spirit of God to please God. 
And we only do that as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's my sermon for you this morning. If you want to change in this new year and you want it to be lasting change, you must claim your new position in Jesus Christ by realizing that you've been set free from the power of sin because of Jesus. And Jesus has sent his own spirit to give us new life and to live accordingly. You can change, but the only way to have lasting change is through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I stated last week, there are oftentimes we, have, we start with these New Year's resolutions, and I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to demonize resolutions. I'm good with them. But, but we start out with them, and we start out with them in our own power. We say we're going to just try harder. We're going to work harder. But then, th- th- that's why, that's why, have you know, maybe you haven't noticed, that's why uh, Planet Fitness and all these other exercise gyms in town are running these specials. Because they know everybody wants to lose weight for the new year. So like, we're going to run these specials, make us some money. Because this free money. Because they're going to start in January, January 1, and by January 15th, they ain't going to show up no more. And we're going to take their $10 every month. Rather, what we should be doing is say, Lord, change my heart about food, about exercise. Rather than just trying. And now we can say, I have the Holy Spirit to help me overcome whatever this, whatever it is in life that I need to change. Some-